Are you tired of not being accepted when you've got your buyer in a multiple offer situation? Today, we're going to talk about how you can avoid that. Stay tuned. With over 50 years of real estate experience, the team at Powell Fine Homes have dedicated our careers to taking care of our clients, ensuring that they get the best possible results and service when they engage us to represent them. From first-time home buyers to multi-million-dollar home sellers, from regular sales to short sales and foreclosures, we've seen it all and educated our clients along the way. As broker owners, we have serious visibility into the Los Angeles and Ventura County real estate markets and are about to share some of what we're seeing with you right now. Get ready for the Powell Fine Homes Real Estate Show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Powell Fine Home Show. My name is Richard Powell. I'm a licensed California real estate broker and your host for today's episode. So today we want to talk about buyer's agents being in multiple offer situations and how to get your client's offer accepted. We had a call this morning. We were a coaching call with one of our friends. No, not a friend. He's an agent that uh, we coach. And they got beat out. So we wanted to walk them through what not to do. He'd done some few of those things that he shouldn't be doing. And we kind of had to... Uh, review what he had submitted and then walk him through what to uh, do and not do in the future. But we want to talk about today, I want to talk about today, uh, tactics that matter, how you get your guys accepted uh, with the offer and things that you should be doing and things that Kirsten and I do all the time when we're in multiple offer situations. We've gotten so good at the multiple offer situations that we're surprised at this point when we don't get accepted. Usually somebody's just come in and just paid a ton of money or there's an agent trying to double end it, but there's even ways around that sometimes if if you uh, if you know how to do it. So don't want to cr- tread too fine a line there, but uh, you know you certainly don't want to violate any, any MLS rules or anything like that. Always check your rules, and if you're out of California, uh, talk with your broker before employing any of these. I don't want to get in trouble and get a call from a broker on the East Coast saying, "Hey, you told my guy to do this when I didn't do that." So tactics that help your clients get accepted in multiple offer situations. So. One of the first things that we do, not even on a multiple, on any offer situation, the first thing Kirsten and I do is we call the agent up, the listing agent. We say, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Listing Agent, what is most important to your seller? What are their what are their hot buttons? What are the things they're most concerned with and what appeals to them the most? You know, and, and quite honestly and logically, price is usually up there at the very top, but sometimes it's not. We've certainly had clients who we're more concerned about being able to move on with their life as in as short a window as possible, as opposed to getting every penny they could out of the house. Sometimes, and right now we have a deal we're uh, negotiating. We're not in escrow yet, but we're, we're uh, getting there. Where the seller needs a long escrow period. They're getting a new home built, and they need an extended escrow longer than usual, so they don't wind up having to get temporary housing and pay you know an outrageous amount for a very short-term lease until their new home is built. Fortunately, that particular point will coincide with my client's needs. So we'll be good on that if we can work out all the other points that we're doing. So finding out what the seller's most important things are has to be at the very top of the list. Once you know that, then talk to the seller's agent, the listing agent rather, and say, okay, what's most important to you? What vendors do you want specifically on services? Who do you want for escrow? Who do you want for title? Who do you want for the NHD report? And things like that, because the more completely the form, the residential purchase agreement is filled out, the less there is to counter. You Ideally, you want to get it down to the only thing that's going to get countered is price. If you 
are riding in a city where there are different city inspections or city reports needed. For example, city of Los Angeles requires the certificate of compliance and it requires what they call the city of Los Angeles 9A report. Those two have to be determined who pays for what and the who pays for what section after the reports. City of Thousand Oaks requires a records inspection. Well, it doesn't require, but it's customary to have the records inspection. City of Oxnard, the same thing. So when you're writing in the different city, make sure you're aware of all the different protocols necessary for a write, to write an offer on a home in that locale. Also know what's customary for who to pay what. And if you're a newer agent, talk to the older agents or the more experienced agents and say, okay, I'm writing an offer in the city of L.A. What do I need? And if they don't know, keep asking until you find somebody. Because one of the things as listing agents that makes Kirsten and I crazy is when we get these half-completed offers on our properties. And it could be, you know, they don't have any idea that there's a city report or there is uh, you know, transfer tax or a city transfer tax. city of L.A. does that as well. Every county in California, you pay $1.10 per $1,000 of value for a transfer tax. But if you're within the city limits of Los Angeles, on top of that dollar ten that you pay to the county, you're going to pay the city four dollars and fifty cents, which is you know significantly more, and it's quite the surprise if your seller's not expecting it. So know the customary local reports and local taxes and costs and fees that are associated with the sale of a house, so you can dictate who pays for what in the offer. Other thing that's very important is that you completely fill out the residential purchase contract. It's amazing to this day how many contracts Kirsten and I, or how many offers we have coming in on our listings, and they're half filled out, and that's it. You know, there's nothing in the loan section. You get down to, uh, you know, who pays for what, and you know, it's just seller choice, seller choice, seller choice, which shows you're acqui- you know acquiescing to the sellers uh, or the listing agents desires as far as services, but it's still more things to be countered out or not countered out, but cleaned up in the counter offer itself. So it's in essence, you're making more work for the listing agent when they do the counter, because even if they don't do it in the counter, the escrow officer is going to call them up and say, okay, who's, who's uh, doing title, who's doing the NHD report, who's doing the, you know, it doesn't matter. But if those things are already spelled out in the contract and agreed to ahead of time, it makes everybody's life more easy getting down to the very end of the contract where you put the agent information. Please, please, please always put in all the information. We get listing contracts every month where, not listing contracts, sorry, purchase agreements coming over every month where the buyer's agent has put in one of our names, hopefully our license number, and that's about it. You know, when Kirsten and I make an offer, we go down and if there's two listing agents, we have both their names, both their license numbers, the broker's license number. We have their address. We have their cell phone, their regular phone. If they have a fax machine or fax number listed, we have that in there. We have their email in there. Everything is in there because that attention to detail matters. When you've got four or five offers coming in on a property and you're sitting down as a listing agent and reviewing it, if four of them are half filled out and there's one that's filled out all the way through, we're going to pay a little bit more attention to the one that is filled out all the way. And we're also going to share that impression with the seller because it's not just about price. If they're haphazard on the purchase agreement, they may have been haphazard in making sure that their buyer was actually qualified to buy. They may just have, you know, the buyer could have given them some pre-qualification letter that there's no due diligence behind. And then you wind up with, um, 
you know, you get into escrow and then all of a sudden you find out they can't qualify for the house and you've fallen out of escrow and now everybody thinks that something is wrong with the home. So you want to fill out every line as possible, as completely as possible. You also, when you submit your offer, you want to include two letters. We always write a letter ourselves talking about our clients, how serious they are, uh, you know, how well they're qualified, with how long we've been dealing with our lender, all of those things. And we also have the buyer write a letter about what they love about the house, what their situation is. Are they relocating from a different state? Have they outgrown their current places? Are they planning ahead, whereas they're buying more home than they need right now, but they want to have kids raise a family in it? You know, whatever the situation may be, we want to get that done. We want to include pictures of the clients. Now, to caveat there is this only matters if you are purchasing somebody's primary residence. If it's an investor or a flipper, they don't care. That's the honest answer. So, you know, for them, it's all about price and speed with closure because they don't want to be, keep paying for a uh, hard money loan that they usually have when they're flipping those things. So, you know, assuming you're buying a primary residence, you have the pictures, you have the letter, you know, sometimes there may be a certain part of the house that they just fell in love with. Sometimes it could be the kitchen, sometimes it's the bathroom, sometimes it's the backyard. If while you're going through the house, your clients just, you're like, okay, this is it. We love this house. Ask them, why do you love this house? What What is it about the house that's speaking to you? And then try to get a picture of them with, you know, if it's the backyard, great. Get a picture of them in that house's backyard. If it's the kitchen, get a picture in the kitchen. If it's the master bathroom, spectacular. And that's what they love the most. Get a picture of them standing in it. So when you send your letter over, you're tugging on those emotional heartstrings of the seller to try to close that deal. Again, it doesn't cost anything more. It doesn't make the offer more expensive for your client. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's tugging those emotional heartstrings and getting you an advantage to where you get accepted versus the person who's just sending a half-completed purchase contract and no letters. You know, So again, you write a letter yourself as the agent. You have the family write a letter or the person who the buyer is write the letter telling the seller why they love that property. You know, you've already talked to the the listing agent, found out what's most important to the seller. You've tailored your contract around it. You've fully, completely filled out your contract. You've got the letters done. You want to prep your lender. Hopefully, you're working with a lender you've worked with for a very long time. You have a great relationship with. You want to make sure they have a very strong approval letter. And a strong approval letter not just says, oh, they're approved, no problem. You want to have, you know, the current date within the last day or two. You want to have the address of the property you're writing on. You want to have the amount they're pre-approved for be either the same amount of what you're offering or very, very close to it. So they don't, you know, if you're writing $50,000 under asking and you pre-approval letters only matches that lower price, they may not think you're qualified to buy the house and move on with somebody else. So a little common sense goes a long way there, but you definitely want the lender's letter, the pre-approval letter, to be specific to the property, specific to the amount, and written in the last day or two. So, you know, you also want to brief your lender, say, hey, we just wrote an offer or we're writing an offer on 123 Main Street. Expect a call from Joe Smith or Jane Smith. They're going to call you up and they're going to want to know how qualified our clients are. So please be sure to share with them everything so they walk away very confident that our clients can buy the house. This is important. You also, in with the pre-approval letter, you want to include clear proof of funds for the down payment, you know, as well as the closing costs in there. You don't need to show three times the property's value, but you certainly want to be able to comfortably show that your clients have the amount liquid to 
make the offer and to close. So if the equity is coming out of the house, but they have a 401k that shows, uh, you know, more than enough money, then send the 401k statement and write a non-contingent offer on that. As long as they have truly been pre-qualified, the lender has no concerns about them getting the loan through. And, uh, you know, that way the only hangup you may have is on appraisal. And that, you know, appraisal always offers four paths to take. You know, if the appraisal comes in low, either the seller can come down, the buyer can go all the way up, buyer-seller splits it, or everybody walks away. You know, when you're the buyer's agent and the appraisal comes in high, please, please, please don't rub that in on the seller or the seller's agent. Just say, you know what, it came in contract, everything's fine. You know, it's funny, Kirsten and I have had a couple deals in the last uh, month and a half that have come through where the appraisal came in higher than what we were asking, you know, what we were in contract for, which is great. Our clients are starting off with equity built right into the property, and they're tickled pink when they see a number that's, you know, significantly higher than what they're in escrow for. It makes us look like rock stars. They get free equity, and it's, you know, it's the way it should be. In a market like we're in right now, that's not the case very often. Usually we're seeing it's coming in right at contract. We've seen a couple come in low, but it was nice to see a couple come in high because it just, you know, we're not getting the kind of appreciation where that's commonplace. You know, 10, 15 years ago, especially prior to 2007, you'd see it all the time. I mean, you know, we, we had one deal we did. Let me think about this. This was 2016 where it came in over $100,000 over contract price. I'm not going to complain about that, but that was the only time since 2007 we've had one come in that much higher than than what we were in escrow for, and it was on a $1.5 million home. But uh, back in 2003 through 2007, you were always surprised when it didn't come in over contract just because we were seeing 20-point year-over-year comps. It was crazy. So, all right, we've got that. Proof of funds, very, very important. You also want to make a full earnest money deposit, the full 3% or sometimes even a little bit higher. It's okay if you go higher simply because the liquidated damages clause in the purchase agreement limits it to 3%. So even if you put 5% down and you lost the 3%, you still get the 2% back. But it's important to show that it's liquid, that they can do it, and it just puts you in a much stronger situation. Because some people are only offering you know, 1% or 2%, and they're not building a story around it. They're just sending it in like that. Whereas you know, we had a situation... Early actually, well, it happened last month. We closed on it this month, but last month we had some great clients, and they had the money. They had they actually were approved for far more than they purchased, but they had a liquidity issue in that the money was tied up in four hundred one ks and annuities and some hard assets they actually had to sell. So when we actually found the house that they were in love with, which we found a lot sooner than we thought we were going to, they only had a few thousand dollars, and, and you know that they could put down right then. So we immediately called the listing agent and we'd seen the home a couple of times already. And we went and talked to him and said, here's our situation. And we had copies of the, of the 401ks and the annuity and said, here's, here's where we're at. We right now today, our clients can only give you a $2,000 uh, earnest money deposit. However, they're liquidating this. It's going to take 10 days for this. They're liquidating this. It's going to take 21 days, but we'll do, what's called an increased deposit, you know, throughout the escrow, they'll be putting more and more money until they hit that 3% number. And by walking him through it, by being very transparent and showing him the accounts and, you know, even saying, look, if you need to call the guy on the other end of the line, feel free to, to, to verify the money's actually there. 
But by being transparent, by writing the letters, by having a very clear and open conversation, we got our clients into escrow. And you know what? It was so good that the listing agent on the other side sent us a text after we closed and said, gosh, can I just do all my deals with you? This was unbelievably transparent. We were concerned on the front end, but we, we knew you were serious and, and you have a good reputation. So we went ahead and rolled the dice and took your offer and we could not have been happier. We made it easy for them. Our buyers executed flawlessly. They made it easy too. So there's times when you don't have the earnest money where you can still get around that obstacle, but it's always easier if you're showing them full proof of funds and giving a full 3% deposit on the front end. It, it does matter. And California is still much friendlier to buyers than sellers. There's all kinds of ways that should you hit an impasse somewhere throughout the early part of the escrow that you can cancel and get the money back for the buyers. Now, that's the fundamental stuff. Let's talk about the advanced stuff where advanced tactics in a, it, you know, it's not, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of a bunch of different things right now. I'm trying to remember what I can actually say on a podcast. So a couple of things. If you're in a multiple offer situation and you know you're still within the range of it coming in on appraisal, okay, you know, then you do what we, we've done successful escalation clauses saying that uh, our seller will pay $1,000 over the highest offer that comes in, but no higher than X. So... Say you're in a $600,000 house, you know it could appraise for six twenty-five. dollars You talk to your client, say, okay, how much do you love the house? You know, Because nobody wants to overpay, but there are certain environments and certain markets where the buyer's going to feel like they overpaid no matter what. Doesn't matter unless the market craters at the same time they've got to sell, but you know, everybody wants to think they're getting a deal or at least not getting taken to the cleaners on the purchase. So say a house, you're... You know, it's offered at five ninety nine, and you know that there's going to be five or six people writing offers on it. It's done very, very well. It's turnkey. It's what most of the people want. And you talk to your clients, you know, figure out how high can they comfortably go and be, still be qualified. What can it reasonably appraise for? And then you put in an escalation cause, and it depends on the price point. When we get a really high price, when we're over a million dollars, you know, at that point, we're not doing $1,000. At that point, it could be $2,500, it could be $5,000, but you always want to put a high-end cap on it. You know, say, okay, we will pay $5,000 over the next highest offer up to, a, you know, a maximum of X. And listing agent to provide buyer buyer's agent with the next closest offer. You want to be able to confirm that there's an actual another offer because God knows there's plenty of agents here in Southern California, probably all of California, that you know would have no problem saying, wink, wink, yes, I have an offer higher than yours by ten or twenty thousand dollars, so you have to pay me, you know, twenty five thousand dollars more. Uh, you know, if you can't verify it, it doesn't do you any good. So you have to write into the to the part where you're giving the escalation clause that your buyer will pay X amount above the next highest offer, up to a maximum cap of this and you know, seller to provide, uh, you know, first page of the next highest offer or whatever, however you want to verb it and work with your broker on, on what the proper verbiage is, but you can put it in that way. Sometimes it's easy when you, you know, on the lower end of the price range, you really don't have to go much more than 500 or a thousand dollars. We typically do 1100 or 1200, not just a round number because everybody goes to a round number. So you want to have it a little bit higher than you think the other people are going to be just to get that. Um, what else have we done? Let me think about this for a second. We have back in the 
right after the crash, say 2008, 9, 10, 11, all of the foreclosure, the REOs, you know, they, they had a per diem that they would hit you with. It was a penalty. Uh, you know, it, it, some of them were brutal. I, I, I wish I could remember. A couple of them were like $500 a day. It was crazy. But the one you would see most more often than not would either be a buck 25 or $250 a day, you know, past the, the, they'd usually do, you know, close of escrow plus two or three. But if you went past that, then you were paying them a per diem every day for uh, lack of closing. So on the flip side of that, when you, when you've got a buyer who, or a seller who's like, oh, I got to get out of this house in 30 days, whatever, you know, then you say, okay, now the caveat here is you have to know your lender very well. They have to know your buyers very well in that they've done all their due diligence. They know, you know, everything they need to know as a lender about them to ensure that they can close as quick, do as much underwriting of the file on the front end of it. But we've actually on a couple of times, we have put per diem offers for the seller. If we don't close within, you know, if the if 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 our lender says, well, we can close this in 24, 25 days, no problem, we'll say, okay, you know, buyer agrees to pay seller um, you know, $125 a day for every day past 30 days. You know, you want to build a few days in there just in case something goes bump in the night, which it always can. But at the same time, think about this. How many times have you seen an offer from a buyer offering a per diem to the seller if they don't perform and close on time? You know, that that will close the deal. Um, what else have we seen? The per diem's a big one. We actually had a we had a listing, this was probably four or five years ago, and um, it was a fixer. It was the same people have owned it owned it since it was brand new in like 1959 or 1960. It was over in West Hills, California. It was a view home on top of a hill. It just had a spectacular view. It's looking uh, southeast over towards Warner Center, so you could see all the fireworks perfectly. You could see the, the skyscrapers down in the west end of the valley perfectly. It was really a really nice view, and. Um, we had, I think, 18 offers on the property. We, we priced it a little bit low on purpose, but inventory was still tight, you know, those few years ago. And we had just everybody and their brother was coming out. And the guy who actually we accepted, he offered to pay the seller's closing costs. And that, I mean, everybody had just paid a ton of money and they got up to, you know, we drove it to the point where it was on the verge of not appraising. But they had gone the extra distance and said, you know, on top of paying top dollar, they were going to pay the seller's escrow and title fees. And that was a no-brainer at that point. We're like, yeah, who's going to say no to that? So, you know, we, I don't think we've ever written that into an offer from the buy side, but if it were the right house with the right client who had the money to pay for it comfortably, we would probably employ that tactic because it's definitely effective. I can tell you as a listing agent, it, it, it made the difference for this guy who uh, was up against 17 other offers many of which were cash and, you know, no contingencies, closing 10 days, that kind of stuff. So, you know, that little bit really, truly made a difference. So be creative, think it through. And, you know, cause especially here in Southern California, they're just, we're not building enough homes to meet demand. I, I think at this point we got a 1.2 million home shortage in all of California between homes not being built between 2008, 2013 and then that 71% of the 55 plus demographic having not sold their home since 1999. So we're, we're, we don't have the homes that should have been built coming back into the resale channel. And then we don't have the boomers homes coming back into the channel because they're not moving. So 
we are going to be fighting for inventory for the foreseeable future. That's not going to get any better. And if they don't figure out how to start building a lot more homes, we're going to, I think it was by 2030, we're supposed to be up to a $2 million, de- $2 million home deficit. So, you know, that, that opens up a whole new can of worms that I can't address in this podcast. But you need to be an aggressive buyer's agent. You need to do the tactics that we've talked about. You know, you have to have a good, great relationship with the lender. And, you know, we're in such, we're in the middle of a gigantic tech shift right now with, on the agent side. I guarantee you is when you're sitting in your office or walking down the halls of your office, you look around a solid one third, if not one half of those agents will not be in the business two years from now. And I'm serious as a heart attack when I'm saying that. Because Kirsten and I are very tech savvy. We're, we're gotten to the point now where we're so adaptable, it's ridiculous. I mean, we're in the third evolution of our business in the last 15 years. And we're basically a media company that happens to sell houses. However, we see new agents coming in who are not tech savvy. They don't know anything about social media. We're seeing older agents who don't want anything to do with social media and all that. And they're going to be victims, for lack of a better term, of the tech shift. I mean, people are going more online. They're listening to things like this podcast. We're doing 3D Matterport tours. I just put one up right now today on a $1.4 million listing we have out in Thousand Oaks. So you can dive in and you can see the house like a dollhouse from the top or zoom in room by room and explore the entire house without leaving your house, your own home. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your laptop. You can do it on your phone. It's mobile friendly. So, you know, if you're out there as a buyer's agent, you're going to have far more competition than you believe, even more so than listing agents are having right now. Listing agents are challenged by lack of inventory. They're challenged by capital you know, to invest into listings. That It is definitely far more expensive to carry listings now than it has been simply because you have to invest so much in tech. You have to have aerial photography. You have to have 3D Matterport photography. You have to have great professional photography if you really want to stand out. You've got Zillow and uh, Open Door and all these other people coming trying to buy homes. You know, the, the sellers haven't been educated enough to realize the size of the discount they have to give if they're going to sell to one of those firms, but they're still going to listen to them. And, you know, Realtor.com and Zillow are doing everything they can under their power to try to cut buyer's agents out of the, the equation. So, you know, you have to be good at what you do. So if you want to be a successful buyer's agent and you want to be successful successful in navigating multiple counteroffer or multiple offer situations rather for your clients, take notes on the tactics we talked about today. I didn't invent these. You know, we were taught them by other agents. Uh, it's out there all over the place. However, we found these to be the most successful for us and get our clients accepted far more often than not when we're in multiple offer situations. As always, you can email us, you can call us. All our contact info is at the end of this podcast. We look forward to hearing from you. And please, 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 especially on the agent side, send us what topics you want to see covered. All right? We've got you know more experience than I like to think about in real estate at this point. So we can talk about a lot of things and in depth on most of them. And if we can't, we know somebody who can. So let us know. We're going to start doing interviews. I've got an f- interview with a professional photographer coming up. We've got an interview with a lender coming up. I've got a title rep that's agreed to doing a podcast with us. So we're going to start branching out and going into the different at, you know facets of the fundamentals of real estate. But we also like talking about 
advanced tactics more than anything else. So let us know what you want to hear us talk about. We'll be happy to talk about it. We look forward to seeing you soon out in the field and hearing from you in the phone calls and emails. You take care. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so now. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard or you want more info, please give us a call at 805-404-1167. Again, that's 805-404-1167 or send an email to sold at powellfinehomes.com. If you're ready to move on with your life in Los Angeles or Ventura counties, call us even quicker. The team at Powell Fine Homes are your real estate experts and who you hire matters. You can find us on the web, on Facebook, and on Instagram every day, and you'll love the results that our proven systems and model deliver for you. Call, email, or DM us today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening.